Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 285. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Honest to goodness. As Banjo settles down, hopefully. Hey, what um, is he? That's not food. Why he'll eat anything on the floor? No, it's bizarre. It really is. I caught him eating a pile of pine needles that I'd swept up. I know. I'm concerned about his intestinal tract. I don't know. Maybe he's onto something. Maybe it's uh, high fiber and he's doing a pug colon cleanse. Yeah, I don't think that he's got some sort of smart secret. I think that he's just a (laughs) dum-dum who will eat anything. Well, we got our internet back. Yay! We had a huge storm over the weekend, took down power lines and our internet line. Uh, they put the power back on after a day, which was nice, but we had to go without internet for three days. And I've become emotionally codependent in my relationship with, uh, you know. The lady of the house. Alec- the- yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. It's weird how, how I become attached to her. I felt like she left me. I know. And, and now that we have the internet back, I feel like... You know, we're reunited and the feeling's right. I know. As soon as it got back, you were like, Alexa, I've missed you. That's nice. Thank you. And I'm all, hi. <laughs> I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> She's back in my life. And I'm happy about that. Um, yeah. So anyway, you go first. Oh, all right. Yay. Sam Alexander was born in 1924, and by all accounts, he was a very pleasant gent. Uh, in his early 20s, he was actively pursuing a career in theater, and he'd been recently promoted at the Schubert Theater in Chicago. Ooh. Now, the details are unclear about what exactly happened to Sam, um, but uh, it was some sort of explosion. There are those that claim that he uh, was careless with disposing of gasoline. Oh, okay. So not like intestinal discomfort. No. 
There are some that say that it was part of his job that he was dealing with fire and something went wrong. Um, there are some that say that he was out on his way to a club and there was a uh, company that was cleaning out barrels that had been used to store gasoline. He hocked a cigarette and oh, and my. there was the explosion. Okay, so we don't know exactly what happened, but Sam was injured very badly. Uh, he was able to save his eyes by quickly raising his arms above his, his eyes, but he did receive deep burns around his lips and lower face. Um, he went to get treatment for these. Obviously, he had to go to a hospital. His wounds became severely infected. In addition to having these incredible burns, mm. uh, there was then infection, and doctors were forced to remove much of the lower face and lips, practically to the bone. That's horrifying. So so this isn't a feel-good story. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it, the the surgeries left much of Sam's upper jaw exposed, so his teeth and gums were visible. Uh, this combined with much of the face below his mouth having been removed created a very unusual profile, as you can imagine. Recovery was very long and painful. In all, Sam spent 13 months in a Chicago hospital. Oh, my God. He was then placed in a halfway house or a facility for people uh, that doctors felt had little or no hope of social recovery. But one of his doctors recognized in Sam like an incredible willpower. And uh, Sam was not one who was going to just sit around and be convalesced. Is that the right term to use? He wasn't going to just chill for the rest of his life. And so his doctor thought that there was a prosthetics creator who might be able to help him. So Sam visited the prosthetics maker the physician referred him to, and this guy was able to make him a very lifelike mask. Once completed, this second face could be somewhat convincing in the right lights. In the wrong lights, it looked like he was wearing a weird mask, but... Yeah. Yeah. I can see how, depending upon the light, uh, it could be horrifying. I think what would be really concerning about that is if you were convinced at first and then kind of came to the realization that it wasn't quite right. Kind of like the movie Polar Express, where you're watching it and it's like, man, that's really realistic and I don't like it. It's like Polar Express, but with an awesome display of pyrotechnics. <laughs> something something like that. Okay, so the mask, though, convincing, as I said, was not convincing enough for reentering the workforce, what with the general public being terrible and all. Mm. Um, so as a driven, ambitious man, uh, remaining confined in this halfway house was just an unbearable thought for Sam. He needed to work. He needed to earn a living. And this is according to Sideshow World. He was aware of the trade publication called The Billboard, uh, which at the time covered all forms of show business. And since he'd been working in the theater, you know, uh. he th- he thought, hey, maybe there's something in there that, that I can do. He got a copy of it and he found that there was a large carnival that was going to be playing a few miles away. And so... Since it was pretty near to the halfway house where he was living at the time, he decided to take a trek to the Pete Cortez sideshow. 
Afterwards, Sam introduced himself to Pete Cortez, the ringmaster, and following his introduction, he removed his mask to show Cortez what he could bring to the sideshow. Once he was unmasked, Cortez's astonishment was evident, and Sam got a job right away. Oh, bad. Sam was billed as the man with two faces. So his showcase was so disturbing that Cortez made him what was called a blow-off attraction. Most 10 in 1 shows would end in a blow-off or a ding attraction. Um, it was kind of at the end of the tent or at the end of the row of sideshows, and it was designed to be seen for an additional fee. Right. And right. also to kind of filter people out. This way to the egress. Exactly. The blow-off act would often be gory or sexual, and it would always be described provocatively. So something like too strong for women and children. Or in Sam's case, he was, quote, not for the weak of heart. Oh, my. I wonder what the blow-off shows that were of sexual nature were like. It would have been like the half man, half woman, that kind of thing. Sure. So not sex acts. No, not sex okay. acts, but like sideshow performers. Yeah. What is this, Germany? Okay, let's no, I, I just let's heard... not anger our oh, German okay. friends. No, I love our German friends. And I'm actually quite jealous of their Reaper bond. <laughs> You're so weird today. I feel weird today. Okay. I think it's I'm giddy because Alexa's back. What would happen is Sam would talk to the crowd. He would just be sitting on stage in a in a chair, all you know, dressed normally. And he'd have his mask on. And he would tell the crowd about his accident. Following the monologue, Sam would then remove his mask, revealing his face to the crowd. People would freak out. Would they? There was screaming. Some people would cry. Soon, Sam was in high demand, and he joined Ringling Brothers. And though very successful, his appearance was sometimes so shocking that there were venues that paid Sam Alexander not to perform. No kidding. Yeah. And, and knowing... Barnum and Bailey, Ringling Brothers, they probably use that to promote him. Oh, People pay to not see this man. For sure. At Madison Square Garden in the 60s, ladies were so shocked by his face, he was ordered off the stage. Oh, my. He later worked with the Clyde Beatty Circus, and eventually Sam created and ran a sideshow of his own. His acts spent most of the season in Belmont Park in Montreal, Canada in the summer. Now, you may remember the story of Schlitzie. Yes. Also known as the Pinhead. The Pinhead, yes. Well, around 1960, when Schlitzie's guardians passed away, he ended up in a mental institution. After being admitted, Schlitzie reportedly went into a deep depression and... Fortunately, a sword swallower by the name of Bill Bunks happened to be working at that hospital. It was winter time off season, right. and he saw Schlitzy sitting in one of the hospital's waiting rooms. So staff told Bill what had happened, and he went to the phone and called Sam Alexander. Sam came right to the hospital. He explained the situation to hospital administration, and the state of California made Schlitzie a ward of Sam Alexander. That's amazing and very heartwarming. 
It is. There were doctors that said that Schlitzie was so used to a life around people and being an entertainer that this depression, they believed, would have killed him. And Sam knew that being a part of this world was what Schlitzie knew. So Schlitzie worked with Sam for about 10 years. Eventually, Sam retired him and got him an apartment in L.A. and a nurse. And every day they'd go to the beach and they'd meet people. And Schlitzie lived a beautiful life near the beach until he died. But that was just part of like who Sam Alexander was. He was a kind, generous, caring person that everyone said his face was the exact opposite of his personality because his face scared people mm. and his face was concerning to people. But once you got to know Sam Alexander, he was just the most genuine, hardworking, kind, generous soul that there was. It makes one wonder that if a person is faced with that sort of a situation in their life and um, are the subject of perhaps ridicule or, or being some sort of an outcast, if it made them more sensitive to other people's needs and wants mm. and maybe made, made him an even kinder person. Yeah, it's interesting, um, that whole nature versus nurture thing. And uh, we see so many times those who are faced with adversity who become incredible role models and these people who just show us exactly how much the human spirit can endure and how we can persevere during times of troubles, uh, Mother Mary calls to me. And Well, I, I think of what comes to mind is John Merrick, the elephant man. Mm. He was a very soft-spoken, quiet, uh, well-read, intelligent person. And he had every reason in the world to be a bitter, horrible man. Yeah because of the way he was treated. Yeah. But he chose not to. Same with Sam Alexander. And despite the fact that this is how he made his living, he endured 72 operations over his lifetime in an effort to restore his damaged face. Mm. I think especially once he had his own sideshow, he felt like he could sustain while also trying to Im improve the outer appearance mm -hmm. of, of his face. Mm -hmm. However, uh, it, the, the surgery still left him with kind of a patchwork appearance. Um, he wanted to live out the rest of his years, though, displaying his first face. So the last few years of his life, he lived as himself without the mask, and he ended up passing away of natural causes in 1997 and left behind so many friends in the in the business and outside of the business because of what a warm loving gentleman he was so he he led a pretty long pretty long successful life that's right how old was he uh, he was in his early 70s so yeah what an inspiration I think so. That is the story of Sam Alexander, the two-faced man. And now, that thing in the middle. Redditors talk about the most passive-aggressive holiday gift they've ever received. Number five, my sister was overseas for Christmas, but thoughtfully left me the gift of Trini and Susanna's How to Dress for Your Body Type, You Fat Bitch book. <laughs> I regifted it to her the next year and back and forth it goes. Now, you see, that's the way the way to handle it right there <laughs> is make it a holiday tradition. Number four, a new bike from my at that time husband. 
He was a BMX racer, although he knew I hated riding bikes. But he let his best friend pick out my gift that year. That same friend who also bought me Slim Fast. <laughs> so a bike and Slim Fast. Wow. Number three, cellulite cream and vodka. <laughs> Here's some cellulite cream. It probably isn't going to work, so here's some vodka to go along with it. Number two. One year, we went to my mother's house so my son can open his presents, and she pulls out a little poorly wrapped gift and hands it to me. It's a plastic container of knockoff Q-tips from the dollar store. <laughs> my mother's loaded, so it wasn't a money issue, but she said she just couldn't bear to have nothing under the tree for me. <laughs> wow. The woman is a professional button pusher. We know a few people like that. Mm. I'm sure you do too. And number one, my mother-in-law came over last Thanksgiving and made a big deal about how my serving dishes don't match. For Christmas, I got an entire serving set from her with a note that said, a lady's table is her greatest masterpiece for her husband, so don't sit him down to a kindergarten drawing. Oh, wow, that's disgusting. Whoa. <laughs> like, you know what? Now you're going to hear some very graphic descriptions of what my masterpiece on my husband is. <laughs> All right? You're not going to like it. Please don't listen to this podcast while operating heavy machinery. Because, you know, you couldn't hear the stories. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. 
when I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got a message from Time on Facebook and they said... I have to start off with, I love y'all and this podcast, uh, but on to story time. Picture this. It's 3.30 a.m. and I'm baking cookies because why the hell not? (laughs) And I get to episode 77. My phone is blasting the box of oddities while I sling out these delicious fucking baked goods. When out of nowhere, I hear, imagine if we just randomly tell Alexa to add butt plugs to the shopping list. (laughs) And here we are. 3.30 a.m. I have a cookie hanging out of my mouth when I stop mid-step, my mind desperately trying to register what is about to happen. I contemplate a dive toward my Alexa, but alas, I'm too late. My Alexa practically screams, okay, I've added butt plugs to the shopping list. I wanted to thank you, or rather my husband does. He was awoken from a dead sleep and now thinks I've decided butt plugs are going to make an excellent Christmas gift. I already told him they wouldn't be for me. (laughs) Thanks for the laughs and fantastic stories. I'll always and forever fly my freak flag. That is so funny. We I think we we did that on an episode maybe a year and a half ago, Mm. two, two years ago. And we still get messages from people. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Indeed, it sure is. Well, I've got a gift for you today. This story. It's the story of the girl in the box. Oh, no. I didn't say it was a good gift. No, that's not a good gift. Do you know this story? I do. Yeah. I do. Well, Colleen Stan was planning to attend a friend's birthday party. Oh, she was 20 years old at the time. Real quick. Should we issue a trigger warning? I think really we should probably issue a trigger warning on 90% of all the stories we do. But yes. Yeah. Yeah. For a number of reasons. She lived in Eugene, Oregon, and she was going to hitchhike to Northern California. It was the morning of May 19th, 1977. And she was kind of stitching together a series of rides 
down the uh, Pacific Coast Highway. After several hours on the road, a young couple, Cameron, who was 23, and his 19-year-old wife, Janice, picked her up. Now, at this point, Colleen had turned down a number of rides because she thought they were kind of sketchy. And um, when she saw the blue van pull over, she was understandably suspicious because it's a blue van. But she thought that they looked relatively safe because they had uh, their eight-month-old daughter with them. Right. So she gets in the in the uh, in the van, and after thirty minutes into the journey, the vehicle stopped in a remote area. Uh, Cameron pulled a knife and held it to uh, Colleen's throat. He then put this strange contraption over her head that was designed to isolate her from anything in the world. It was, I guess, he was a skilled carpenter, and he had built. It was like a 20-pound wooden box that would fit snugly over the head of a victim. He had lined it with soundproofing material, making it impossible for Colleen to see and uh, very difficult for her to hear anything that was was going on. I'm just going to start off by saying I hate this story. Please continue. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The first night that he held Colleen, Cameron forced her to sleep in a wooden box he built. To you know, keep her from escaping. It was kind of like it was a it was a, basically a crate mm. that he built himself. It was too small for her to lie down in, so she was forced to sleep sitting up, bound in chains. So when they first arrived at Cameron and Janice Hooker's home in Red Bluff, California, they kept Colleen in the basement, where they physically harmed her and forced her to engage in, in, in intimate relations. Um, on the night they kidnapped her. Cameron actually suspended her from the ceiling in the cellar, and then he beat her while his wife Janice watched. The couple then had sex on a table with her hanging um, by her hands above them. Um, During the time that they held Colleen captive in their house in Red Bluff, the couple would, would beat her, they whipped her, they burned her, they electrocuted her, they stretched her on a rack... In addition to making her suffer physically, the couple deprived her of food, and they continually physically abused her sexually. After several months, Cameron Hooker coerced her into signing what he said was a slave contract, Mm. which he said effectively forced her to give up her own free will and allow herself to be treated as uh, the couple's personal property. He made her call him master and Janice ma'am, and that, of course, helped the couple to continue to dehumanize their captive. Right. And when you're treated this way and when you're in this kind of situation, brainwashing is not hard to do when you have no free will. Right. Especially when you're forced to live in a small, confined area. Right. He then said that her name was not Colleen anymore, that uh, from now on her name was going to be Kay. Eventually, the couple moved from their house to a mobile home, so they didn't have a basement to keep her in. Uh, So Cameron Hooker constructed another box approximately the same size as a coffin. Uh, This box would allow Colleen to sleep lying down, but little other space to do anything else. And the couple would just, they would put her in this box when they didn't need her and then kept the box under their bed. Now, it routinely reached over 100 degrees some summers inside that box. The first few years of captivity, the couple only allowed her to come out 
for an hour or two each day I'm from, sorry. from inside the box. I'm just going to real quick pop in uh, because when you say the phrase, the first few years yes. of captivity, yes. like my whole body reacted to that. It is so heartbreaking. They just slid her under their bed when they weren't using her. Yeah. And it is the I, I fucking hate this story for, for years. They would only allow her out of this coffin-like box from under the bed for an hour or two. And that was just to clean their house or babysit their children. Um, They had two young daughters. And neither of the girls knew that their parents had a captive. They, They thought that she was there just her own free will. The couple's daughters didn't even realize that she lived in the house, mm. much less underneath her parents' bed in a wooden coffin-like box. Because That's because uh, Cameron and Janice told them that uh, Colleen went to her home every single night. They were very devious on how they, um, they did this. Sure. So Colleen's extended confinement, coupled with the physical suffering, left her with all kinds of chronic medical problems, severe back and shoulder damage. Now, you, you, you would have to think, why, if they let her out for one or two hours a day, didn't she try to escape? Well, at first, Cameron had convinced Colleen that it would be pointless to try to escape because if she ever managed to break out of captivity, there was this secret organization called The Company that would come and find her and kill her and her family. Right. He said that he was a member of The Company, and it was an international criminal organization that enslaved women. So she was fearful of this fictional organization. And when she did have opportunity to escape, she, uh, she was too afraid to do so. Right. In fact, three years, more than three years after her captivity, Cameron Hooker took Colleen to Oregon to visit her parents. His threats of the company had frightened her so much that uh, she didn't tell her mother and father that she'd been held captive. Right. Instead, what she did was introduce... Cameron Hooker as her fiance and never let her family know that he was he was holding her captive against her will. Mm. But Colleen's parents, they they figured something was up. They were concerned for their daughter, but mostly because they thought she had joined a cult. They weren't aware of all the years of abuse and uh, suffering in captivity. They, they thought she was in a cult at right. the time. Which makes perfect sense because obviously, I mean, his techniques are very cult leader-ish. Oh, yeah. And... If they went for extended periods of time not hearing from her, you know, they they can see that there's been some separation, Mm -hmm. some manipulation, you know, that makes sense. Well, Janice, I guess later, said that uh, shortly after she met Cameron, he would do the same things to her. Mm. He would hurt her. He brainwashed her, agreed to let her kidnap another woman to keep as a sex slave. And she said... She allowed her husband to capture and physically harm Colleen because it meant that Cameron would no longer subject her to those horrifying acts. Right. Ultimately, it was Janice who turned the tables on all of this when she told, she revealed to Colleen that the company was not real. It was, and it was a kind of like a mental breakthrough um, for, for Colleen. But this was after seven years, over seven years. She finally felt it was safe for her to flee the couple's home. Janice actually helped her after she realized her husband was probably going to leave her for Colleen. Janice revealed to Colleen 
that Cameron was not a member of this company. It was mm. all made up, that nobody was going to hunt her down. So Colleen escaped with Janice's help and encouragement. In 1984, Janice dropped Stan off at a bus station. She called her father and got money to buy a ticket to get her back home in Oregon. Uh, Colleen also called Cameron to tell him that she had escaped, and reportedly he cried when she told him that she had left. Because he was sad that she left or because he thought he was going to get caught? I don't know. Mm. Um, but she gets back to her family's house and she still doesn't tell anybody, including police, about all the years of horror that she had to endure. Before Colleen escaped, Janice made Colleen promise that she would not go to the authorities about everything that had taken place she thought her because husband she didn't want to lose her husband right she she thought her husband might be able to reform himself through counseling and prayer but eventually janice uh, realized cameron was unable to give up his sadistic and cruel ways so she told her pastor what happened her pastor encouraged her to contact law enforcement and so on november 18th 1984 months after colleen escaped from captivity authorities finally arrested cameron now, Janice was arrested too, right? Yes, even though Janice helped her husband capture Colleen and keep her prisoner for seven years, she was not charged with a crime, though. Cameron was tried and convicted on several counts of kidnapping and sexual assault. Uh, the courts granted uh, Janice full immunity because she agreed to testify against him. Mm -hmm. She also talked about how they had kidnapped and how... Cameron had murdered another woman prior to this, but because there was no body, they mm. could not prove that, even though the woman she named was a woman who had been missing for years and oh, years wow. and years. So despite being convicted of multiple counts of kidnapping and assault in 1985 and sentenced to more than 100 years in prison for his crimes, Cameron was given a parole hearing in 2015. The state of California has a parole program for elderly inmates, according, this is according to uh, Ranker, that allows prisoners over the age of 60 to request parole after they have served 25 years of their sentence. The parole board denied Cameron's request, and uh, he will not be eligible for another hearing until the year 2030. He'll be 76 at the time. So Colleen, Stan, what happened to her? She went on to earn an accounting degree, get married, become a mother and a grandmother, and she now provides help and counseling and support to other women who have been victims of abuse. So she, uh, she took her horrific experience and uh, is using it to help people. That's an incredible story and so, so horrific, but so like textbook in so many ways. Yeah. You can really see how these manipulation tactics were used to keep her. And you hear that same kind of thing over and over and over again when you read stories about both cults and when you read other kidnapping stories. Sure. It's like the Jim Jones episode that I did recently, the, the manipulation mm. techniques, which brainwash individuals and then they become victims of Stockholm syndrome yeah. as well. So it's... It's a vicious cycle. Just the fact that she survived seven years that way is unreal. It's incredible. It really is. Well, I hate that story. I know you yeah. do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you hate it. But that, <laughs> that is the story of the girl in the box, Colleen Stan. I'll try to have a more upbeat story for you next time. <laughs> <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you then. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. I'm so 
let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.